Greetings and welcome to the To Be a Yogi podcast. I'm Edward Reed, and this is my co-host, Sarah Swain. Hello. Do you have any background in yoga? No, I've never done yoga. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, Sarah. Okay, well, I am 25 years old. I've moved out to Los Angeles to pursue acting. I'm also a singer-songwriter. On behalf of the audience, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank um, you. The To Be a Yogi podcast is dedicated to bringing the worldwide yoga community together. We will bring you history, discuss the various forms of yoga, as well as the latest news and current events on the subject. We will also give you good book recommendations. We will bring you interviews with longtime practitioners, experts, and authors. We will also interview new teachers and those who've been at it for a while, as well as those who practice and love yoga. Our goal is for everyone in the world to have access to the knowledge of how to safely and effectively practice yoga and meditation. Safely. Oh, yeah. You can hurt yourself. <laughs> really? Yeah. If you've got something turned around, the you know, the wrong way and you're holding it, you know, we don't want people hurting themselves. I had a friend who used to do a lot of yoga in the 70s. He was out of practice for like a decade. And then one day he said, oh, yeah, I can do yoga. See? And he went into a deep forward fold and he threw his back out. No way. So part of yoga is the passing on of, of good advice from teacher to student. I'm not really sure what the difference between like a yoga instructor and a yogi is. If you can teach the yoga poses, then you're a yoga instructor or a yoga teacher. A yogi is one who embodies yoga, who practices yoga. The classical definition of a yogi, like for example, there's a book called Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda about the path of the yogi. There's the five yamas, for instance, and the five niyamas, uh, non-violence, non-lying, non-stealing, sexual wisdom. Uh, often people interpret that as chastity or abstinence, um, but other others will say it just means be faithful and don't be an idiot, you know, with your sexual energy. Right. And, and then aparigraha, which is non-coveting, non-clinging. It's sort of that Buddhist concept of not being attached. Uh, then there, there's the niyamas, which are cleanliness, contentment, remaining in a state of contentment and serenity, even regardless of whether times are good or not. And then tapas, which is the burn. You're staying a little bit longer than is comfortable for the sake of growth, for the sake of moving through and beyond resistance. So you want to get beyond your comfort zone. The fourth one is... Um, self-study. So you're watching yourself in present time. You're vigilantly aware of your own reactions, your emotional responses, um, everything that's going on with you. The fifth niyama is surrender to God, surrender to Ishvara, Ishvara Pranidhana. Allow yourself to be an expression of the universe, one of many expressions of a harmonious universe. The third limb is where you get into the poses. It's called asana. The fourth limb is pranayama, which is conscious breathing and breath control. The fifth limb is pratyahara. The withdrawal of the senses. So you withdraw the senses from the outer world mm -hmm. and then you focus them on the internal. Next, concentration. Dharana. So it's the mental focus and concentration. Then, dhyana, which is meditation. That's the word that's translated as zen in, in Japanese, um, chan in Chinese, and meditation in English. And it's basically the meditation state that you achieve after you've uh, perfected all those others. And then from there, samadhi. Oh, 
because like the reason why you know I asked the, the difference is because a lot of people will be like, oh, I love yoga, but then they don't seem very spiritual. I feel like a lot of people just take the class <laughs> just to do it, and it's a trend, and then they get their kale smoothies or whatever. Yeah, which I'm all about health too, and I love kale smoothies. I but... think a lot of that has to do with like back when yoga was coming over here, and the swamis were coming over and hanging out with the Beatles and what whatnot. <laughs> um, someone asked Marilyn Monroe what her secret was and why she had such great legs, and she responded, "Yoga." Yeah, so it became very popular for uh, for people, you know, housewives and whatnot. Um, and and men were certainly glad to have their wives off doing something that would make them look like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yes. But they tended not to go themselves, and that's that's how you end up with kind of a, you know, and that's an interesting point because the 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 man that I interviewed made a distinction between the Hollywood yogis, Hollywood yoga, and like real yoga, and um, so that was one of the things I wanted to address because. I, you know, I teach yoga in Hollywood, but I want to embody real yoga. I just feel like a lot of people do it because it's like a fad, it's a thing to do, but they don't take it as seriously as you do. But I think that it's good for the fad to exist because it, it gives people a window in. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe after a few years, maybe in their next life, there's uh, yoga instructors that don't use any Sanskrit, who, who say there's no need for any of this spiritual stuff. And then there's others that say, oh, well, if you're really going to be a yogi, then you must refrain from eating meat because that is um, violence. You're, you're committing oh, violence. And I'll the very first. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Yeah, my, my mom said the same thing. For her, it was Brahmacharya. Yeah. She was like, oh, I'll never be a yogi. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to stop having sex. I'm never going to you know, cut off that whole part of my life. Right. But I mean, I'm of the opinion that she might still be around today if she had taken up a yoga practice. I want to be a vegetarian, but I'm not. And part of my journey, I think, is going to be learning how to eliminate that from my diet and, uh, and not feel terrible because <laughs> I tried it, you know, I tried it's it for hard. three months and, uh, and I felt terrible. I, I, um, I tried it for three weeks and it was, it was okay, but people were like, and I'm already really skinny, and people are like, you're, you're losing weight, and I'm like, oh, man. And so I tried that for a few weeks, and I would love to cut out meat in my diet because I love animals so much. Cows look at you when you drive by them, and the whole field of them look at you. They look right at you. They're all looking you in the eye, and they, we know they, they so are. smart, yeah. And we just they're sort like, of, like, look. pretend there's not a hundred <laughs> beings <laughs> looking like, at you. you don't have, a, yeah, a soul. And then I'm watching, Where like, salmon don't really look at you. They're like, what? Hmm? Huh? What? They're just, you know, going around aimlessly like bugs, but it's like, who knows? But you can't hear them cry, so you assume that, you That know, they're not. The way that I was taught, I wasn't taught that I should cut meat out of my diet. We brought it up as something that is discussed within the yoga community. To keep in mind what you're eating, basically. Like, to be aware of how at least the animals are treated. And what they're fed to. Support, you know, at least not the terrible treatment of, of animals. And that if you feel called to vegetarianism to do it as, uh, you know, safely and uh, intelligently as possible, keep your health in mind, to consult your doctor, that kind of thing. I decided to create this To Be a Yogi podcast for people who also want to be a yogi. I want to be a yogi. So I put the word out, and my friend Dan Bristol in the UK uh, got back to me, and he suggested that I speak to his longtime yoga teacher, Ashok Malhotra. 
Ashok Malhotra, in my mind, in my view, uh, embodies the kind of yogi that I would like to be one day. And so I'm very glad that he was the first person that I got to interview on this podcast, because I think it really sets a tone, it sets a direction. He's an SUNY Distinguished Professor, Founder and Chair of the Yoga and Meditation Society for the Scientific Study of Spirituality. Mm. Sounds interesting, right? I love it. He's the founder of the Ninash Foundation. We'll talk about that in the interview. He is nominated for the 2010 Nobel Peace Prize. Let's go ahead and get to that interview. Hello, Edward. Hello. Uh, how do you pronounce Ashok Malhotra? Does it have a meaning? Yeah, Ashok means the greatest king of India. Mm-hmm. He spread Buddhism all over the world in 261 BC. Nice. Because of King Ashoka, you had Buddhism. <laughs> because if you're a practicing uh, Buddhist meditation, I think it's King Ashoka who started the whole thing in 261 BC. So Ashoka means the king of India, the greatest king of India, who unified the whole country. Secondly, Ashoka also means uh, one who takes away all your worries, all your stress, all your strain, all your anxiety, uh, and so forth. So that's what Ashoka means, and many other things. There is an eternal tree in India which is called Ashoka tree. And then Malhotra means Malhotra. Hot actually means one who sits on something. And Mal means one who takes away all your worries. He sits on this very comfortable Padma Asana. Malhotra. Another meaning is one who sits on a lot of money. <laughs> It's a beautiful I'm not name. a lot of money. Mal, <laughs> mal means money. Hotra, because most of the Indian families who are Hindu families, they are called, when you're going to get married, they say, what's your gotar? Hotar means one who sits on. That is, what's your lineage? Where are you coming from? Who's your person who started? your whole clan, whether you're a Kshatriya or Brahmin or, you know, scholar or you're a warrior, where did you come from? So that's a Hotra. So these are the fighters who used to fight on long, long time ago, what is now called Afghanistan-Pakistan border, near Kandahar. And that's where these warriors started, Mal Hotra. Very interesting. Very thorough explanation. Thank you. Does your name have a meaning? Yes, Sarah means princess and pure. I looked it up online. <laughs> and Swain? Swain in the dictionary actually means lover of, which would make sense because my grandma um, had seven sons, so she was quite the lover. Oh, actually, Antoinette means beyond praise. So oh. my name is princess beyond praise lover. Check it out. I love the money part. <laughs> that was really interesting coming from a yogi. Was the meaning of his name also means to sit on a lot of money. That's great. Does he sit on a lot of money? No. Oh, the No, irony. he said uh, he wasn't rich. But <laughs> but there's a it, it reminded me of um Siddhartha Gautama uh 
who was the original Buddha, as it were, although some say there were seven before him, um, but he was the, anyway, he's the one Buddha that people usually think of, the, the one Keanu Reeves in the movie, you mm-hmm. know. Um, well, anyway, he uh, his father received a prophecy that his son was going to be a great king, which either meant that he was going to um, be this great spiritual leader or it meant that he was going to conquer the other nations and have great wealth. And so his father um, wanted to make sure that... That, that, that it happened. Yeah, well, he wanted <laughs> to like make sure money. he wasn't like the... the yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so he did everything he could to oh, like man. give his son everything he wanted and all the pleasures of life. And his his, uh, his son's mother died when he was a baby. So he did his best to like make sure he didn't even think about ever having had a mother or like no one told him that there was death or that he was missing anything. And then finally he was 19 years old and uh, he was doing a parade and of course his dad would have everybody clean up the whole city and get rid of all the poor people and the old people and the dying people and the sick people and have only the healthiest people out in front and then make everything shiny for his son to see and you know only see good things so that he would become a great king you know and all this stuff. And of course it backfired because he saw no, this was uh, oh, okay. this is about Buddha oh, when, oh, okay. when, before he was Buddha when he was growing up, um, and uh, so his dad wanted to make sure he was the greatness of the spiritual not not he, that he was the, the the wealth greatness and not the spiritual greatness by doing all this, but it backfired because he saw a poor person like back behind everybody and he just stopped the parade and he got up and and Buddha he went and, yeah yeah uh, Siddhartha or Keanu it's a great movie uh, I recommend checking out Little Buddha but ignore Aww. all the present day stuff in San Francisco that's all silly but the the, the <laughs> flashbacks with Keanu Reeves is right where it's at oh that's cool but anyway anyway um so yeah, Aww. so yeah, he's he's a really sweet guy. I uh, so far so good. You know, he's very welcoming. I was a little awkward. The first words out of my mouth are, "How do you pronounce your name? What does it mean?" You know, like I haven't even so said anything. So how old are you? I haven't introduced myself, you know, or anything like that. So so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens next year. Okay. So tell me about yourself. You know, before you start asking me questions, <laughs> okay. about you. So how do you say your last name? I say it Reeb, but I'm probably mispronouncing it. It's of German origin, so I believe in Germany it would be it would be Reeb. Uh, but my father and my grandfather and my great, you know, we've all pronounced it Reeb. And uh, but it means to to rub, as in to rub clear. For example, you know, a lens. If you want want a lens to to focus clearly, uh, there's the one who rubs it clear. And then uh, my my first name Edward is uh, Rich Guardian in ancient German uh, Germanic Teutonic. Well, you know, people think uh, riches uh, are to be counted in terms of what your bank account is. Right. It is a difference between rich and wealthy. You know, you might be a millionaire, you might have ten million, but if you cannot part with ten dollars, you're poor. And a person who has hundred dollars who can part with one dollar is richer. Yeah. When you are. And that's the way I think life goes. That's what Tolstoy said a long time ago. I'm sorry. I'm obsessed with what he's saying. You're like, I gotta pause this because, man. No, I love it. Okay, so your name means rub. To rub clear. Okay. No, to rub clear. Not well, yeah, like if you rub your eyes to rib. to see clearly, mm-hmm. that's like you're ribbing. I, I, I that's the best meaning that I could find for. I like, like that. Yeah. Okay, so what does Edward mean? Did we Rich guardian. Oh. Wow, that it just totally. 
I love when names totally make sense for people. It's the greatest. <laughs> Although, like, I'm not a princess. No one's a lover princess. Nobody's a yeah giving me praise, like beyond praise. No one's worshiping me, so I'm just kind of like. At least whatever. they're not telling you they are. If you guys are worshiping me, you need to let me know, okay? So I could thank you. <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna sound like such a tool. My whole life, I always felt torn between do I follow the spiritual path because I could get really into that or do I focus on the entertainment business? It's not necessarily mutually exclusive. Yoga means unity. And so if you're holding it all together and you're doing everything for the benefit of others and the benefit of your community and for the benefit of your family and for the benefit of yourself but not in a selfish way but in a healthy way where you where you remain healthy so that you can be a good provider to others but anyhow let's get back to okay. the interview and also in Dalai Chen of China Lapsu said that he made a distinction between rich richness who is rich and who is really wealthy and yeah you're rich because you are not just a human being but you are trying to be human there is a difference in human being and being a human all of us are human beings. We uh, were born as uh, parents who are human beings. But at the same time, you know, you have to make an effort at being human. And that's where compassion comes in. That's where yoga training comes in. That's where helpfulness comes in. That's where karuna buddhism comes in. You have to take that choice, make that choice. And most of the people let that go. They don't want to grow and develop their brains or their mind and become, you know, kind of self-centered. They become selfishly centered on wrong things. But self-centered is going within and getting in touch with that wonderful spark which we have, which is part of the solar system, which is part of what created this whole universe and so forth. Yeah. We have in us. And that's what namaste basically means. That is, uh, I fold my two hands and I bow before you. I recognize your physical body. I'm not bowing before your physical body. I recognize you have that divine spark. I have the same with your brothers and sisters. And that's what Namaste basically means. I had a realization uh, a few years back where I knew in my mind that I should be doing yoga. Would you know eat junk food, and I wasn't doing yoga, and I had lower back pain, and I was sitting in a desk all day at work. And one day, you know, it it occurred to me that the the yogis in India know how to be human properly, and that yeah. if, if I'm going to live comfortably in my own skin, if I'm going to be, you know, I was smoking cigarettes, you know, living for some kind of addiction to this corrosive urban sort of um, civilization and and so I mean I really felt a calling that if I wanted it you know to live happily and not be kind of half suicidal all the time and, and uh, miserable that I needed to be serious I needed to quit smoking I needed to stop drinking so much I needed to drink water instead of soda I needed to actually do yoga instead of just you know uh, telling other people they should do yoga <laughs> and uh, so that was that was around 2011 and uh, by 2014 I had successfully 
um, you know, become more athletic. I was riding my bike a lot, and I the back pain had gone away. I lost 50 pounds. I was doing yoga twice a day, and so I became a yoga instructor. I, I uh, went through the 200-hour training, and... Uh, so, so then I started teaching, and now, now I'm reaching out um, to people who can help me because, I, you know, I, uh, I want to be a yogi, and I don't want who to be a to false. Be a yogi? I don't want to be a false yogi. You know, I don't want to say I'm a yogi but not really be one. So I've started this podcast called "To Be a Yogi," uh, so that people like me, and me, and me also, can uh, can can ask people like you. Please help me to be a yogi and and help me to to be a good teacher and and a good teacher of yoga because you had said that there were the different types of yogi. There's a Hollywood type, and uh, and I'm and I, I right when you go to Sunset Sunset Strip right there at the mouth of Sunset Strip, there's a Crunch Fitness with a big fist. I teach that yoga class, and I want to improve, and I want to be more like the true yoga that you you define as the Himalayan yoga and I want to go to India and I want to meet the right people. And, and, and so that's, that's, that's me that you wanted an introduction. That's the complete story. So funny how he talks about like Hollywood yoga and you're like, I'm the guy on sunset teaching right there. I'm the guy that you're saying is fake. <laughs> Thanks for the interview. <laughs> is he like, no, no, I mean... Yeah, he explains what he was... <laughs> He's like, know, no, what clearly. I meant was... Yeah, yeah. Wonderful that, you know, you're showing me, you know, a lot of uh, kind of faiths you have in the system. Have you gone through the Panjali Yoga Sutras? I have. Original yoga Composed close to 500 BC or earlier by a sage Patanjali. The book is called Yoga Sutra. Even the Buddha learned that. And then he created his system of meditation based on it. And that is the original text on which all the other yogas which people follow these days. Most of the people don't even read the book, the original book of Patanjali. If you want to become a yogi, you have to read that first. <laughs> so he's saying the Yoga Sutras. To be a yogi, you have to read the Yoga Sutras and embody them, do what it says. You want you to borrow this? Oh, cool. Sure. Yoga Philosophy, Chapter 2, or Part 2, is on Patanjali Yoga Sutras, the four parts to it. Parts are, you know, the first is your samadhi pada, then that means the goal and the meaning of yoga, the aim of yoga. Second is sadhana pada, which is uh, the method, ashtanga yoga, kriya yoga, and how you utilize uh, what we call, you know, vinyasa yoga, how you use uh, pranayama, how you use asanas, uh, uh, physical postures. And what happens is that most of the people are there. I read the book. Samadhi is like the last step. You remember I was going over the eight limbs of yoga? <laughs> and samadhi is the basically the oneness that you experience uh, when you're harmonizing between kind of microcosm and macrocosm. I've heard it likened to surfing, like when the surfer knows what the wave is doing and what it's going to do next. And that moment of being totally in harmony between the surfer and the wave um, 
is that samadhi that you arrive at, and that eventually, in theory, you can live at. And that, you know, one of the uh, that's like what they call enlightenment, I guess. He's, he says Ashtanga yoga, and uh, let's just get a little help from Google on that one. Ashtanga Yoga is a system of yoga reported by the sage Vimana Rishi in the Yoga Korinta, an ancient manuscript said to contain lists of many different groupings of asanas, as well as highly original teachings on vinyasa, drishti, bandhas, mudras, and philosophy. She's so smart. Wow. And then, so then he said Kriya Yoga, that one I can tell you a little more about. Uh, they teach that up the street at uh, Self-Realization Fellowship, which I mentioned earlier. And um, it's one of the ways that you can raise the Kundalini exercises toward that. You have to, of course, become a pure vessel in order to do that. They don't even, if they have headaches, they don't understand it. They think because they can do 20 asanas, physical postures, and some breathing exercises, and they're masters and they're masters. As yoga, no. To be a yogi means you have to go beyond all this and perfection of Ashtanga Yoga, which is discussed in part two called Sadhana Yoga, Sadhana Pada. Then part three, all the powers you are going to be uh, getting because you are perfecting. Samyama. Yes. I, I kind of wanted to just drop drop a little Sanskrit to let him know that I'm not totally ignorant, because I, <laughs> I kind of set it up at the beginning like I'm a total ignoramus, and, and I, I, I need your guidance because I'm totally clueless, and he's like, well, you need to read the Yoga Sutras, and part of me is like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously I've read the Yoga Sutras, you know, like, but I, I, I wanted, I just dropped Samyama right there, because in Chapter 3, it's all about how to achieve Samyama, which is a particular uh, combination of meditation, concentration, and Samadhi, and you use all three of them together, and that's the book where it's starts to get a little weird and a lot of yoga instructors really start to tune out at that point in the yoga sutras because it says you can use that to become invisible <gasps> you can use that to become heavier than an elephant Ooh. or lighter than a feather or to teleport what? or yeah so this is all in the yoga sutras oh, wait they believe in teleporting oh yeah 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 oh, man, no people so who really take the the yoga sutras seriously like get everything in my life i'm learning <laughs> <laughs> some people take the yoga sutras very seriously and say yes there are supernatural powers that can be achieved, have been achieved, and, you know, there's pe people yes. that, you know, that play on that. Forming good habits of the body through asana, good habits of the heart through pranayama, through breathing, good habits of the mind through dhyana, meditation, all that's there in part two. Then lots of powers you'll start gaining. It's okay, you can say it. <laughs> About the powers? No, it just gets me so, like, amped up. <laughs> sounded a little like Yoda there. It's like powers? Lots of powers you start gaining. And so, does he talk about what powers he has? He doesn't talk about it, but it's all in the Yoga Sutras. Look at him. He's oh, like, the powers he really, has. Really no, I think it's, that's one of those things where, like, if you have the powers, you won't tell anyone you do. You know, like, I used to tell yeah. people, I was like, I had, but I don't even want to say it here because I feel like people would think I'm crazy. So maybe for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the esoteric podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You become very sensitive to other people's needs, other people you care about them, and so forth. And that, and then the last part is, what's the final goal of yoga? The final goal of yoga, of course, is to go beyond all these powers to get enlightened. That's why I try to make that distinction when people say, you know, what are the different kinds of yoga? There are more than 800 different kinds of yogas, but they are coming out of that Patanjali Yoga Sutras. And the four which I mentioned, that's just, you know, 
I just mentioned in Hollywood. They are right. They include all the physical years, asana, and that gives you beautiful body. It gives you restful sleep. It gets you away from your addictions. I'm not saying there's anything bad about it. It's great that people are doing that. You also do breathing exercise, pranayam, and that's what the Hollywood people did, and it's amazing. And I think we should keep doing that. That's what you told me, that you were addicted to cigarettes and alcohol, and you try to get away from it. Right. To be yoga means to see what you're addicted to and how you can get away from your addictions because you're your best friend and your worst enemy. And that's why people die because they keep on putting all junk in their systems, whether it's food, drink, ideas, emotions. Our mind is more like a pure lake or a pure field, but you plant beautiful flowers in it, they grow and you take care of them. But once the weeds or negative ideas start coming in, they start messing the mind up. And you don't let any of those negative ideas of, uh, I can't do this or I don't have self-esteem, I'm never good at this. And, you know, I'm afraid of that person. All these are negative ideas. They're like uninvited guests who creep in from the bottom of your door, and once they go inside your house, they want to stay there, just like we. So you have to work through that part. That's where dealing psychologically, but you have to deal it, you know, more at a metaphysical or spiritual level, because, you know, we are all physical beings. We are beings with emotions, we are beings with mind, but there is the integration of all these three that's the way the spirit will express itself. And that is what's going to connect us to whatever the ultimate force is. It's within you. So you have to take that inward journey. And I think most of the people just get stuck with few physical exercises. They're good for you. Yeah. Breathing exercises are good for you. But you are not the master. To become a yogi, that will require mastering the physical posture, breathing meditation, and then integrating all these forming a harmony among them. And then you move on. And then hopefully you'll be able to connect to the rest of the people. I'll give an example. You know, when you said you're your own best friend and your worst enemy. It's really true. Because at the end of the day, we're all we have is yourself, you know. Um, so I'm a big believer in, you know, Whatever you're listening to, your outside influences, you gotta be really careful. Like even the music that you listen to, and um, you know the content that you're watching on TV, what you're eating, and it's all you know. Some people will be a victim and be like, "Oh well, you know, I'm this way because this and this happened or whatever." But it's like, you know, we're all capable of of um, controlling what happens to us at a certain point. Like childhood, not so much, but after that, you know, you can reach out uh, whatever you need to figure out how to be the person you want to be. So, that's cool. Nice. And I'll give you this example. Because not only we have a yoga center here, not only I teach yoga and I teach philosophy, I have 16 books published. And I also, uh, with the help of many, many people in our community here, we set up uh, uh, six schools in India for the poorest of poor female and minority children. 
and I had taken 300 students with me to build these schools, giving them free education. And every year, December 25th to January 20th, I go to India with a group of people, and I give a kind of talk to uh, 1,000 kids and their parents sitting there. And this was this January. And so I usually give them a talk on compassion, you know, how we can help. And at this time I thought, let me make up something, you know, mm-hmm. which is very to my heart. And I asked the people there, and I said, why do you think we have four parts to our heart? And, of course, 1,000 people sitting there, they just watching what I was going to say. <laughs> the first heart is for me to take care of myself so that I do exercise, I do yoga, I eat right, drink right, get away from all the addictions. And I think that's the first part. But then there's a second part. If I'm healthy, I have to take care of my family. second part says take care of them the way you take care of yourself. And the third part is for all the people of your country, you live in a country, and what you want for yourself and your family, you want it for other people in your country. And the fourth part is the most important one. What you want for yourself, your family, as well as for people of your country, you want it for all the people on this earth. And that's the fourth part. And we are messed up. We emphasize only the first part, and we become selfish, self-centered. That's why we have all the problems of this earth. And so, you know, that's what yoga is teaching us. Use all the four parts of your heart. Create a balance among these four parts. Be generous. That's what life is all about. Moving on. I'll never know what life is all about. <laughs> like, that's what life is all about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Just kind of to go back to... Um, why I feel torn between the entertainment industry and, you know, the spiritual path is that I I feel like you have to have some sort of ego to, like, want to stay in that field, you know? And if if I was completely spiritual and gave all that up, I, I wouldn't have the desire for anything besides, you know, being in the moment and, you know, you let go of all the all the desires of being successful because, um, you know, you're already just really happy. And I guess that's what life is all about. On the other hand, though, if you have let go of, for example, the desire to achieve fame, you've let go of the desire to even please the director, then you will probably be a better actor. You know, if you've if you've gone through the internal processes, if you if you're there because you need to be there. That's one thing, but if if you're there because you choose to be there, because you want to be there, then you're free, you know. Does that make Yeah, I just feel like a lot of us um, have the desire to perform because of the reactions that we get um, from people. Right. You know, like when you're on stage and, and you make the audience laugh. It's, it's like, I'm not sure if I enjoy making them feel joy and laugh or if I enjoy that I'm making them laugh and like oh I did a good job like sometimes I wonder where like the root of me enjoying to perform for people comes from if it's if it's selfish or because I like to give or is it you know both like it's just this exchange I sometimes I run into that when I'm teaching where 
if I teach a really good class and I get a lot of really positive feedback, and then I feel like, oh wow, that was great,、mm-hmm. and then but then the next time I go teach, maybe I don't get any feedback at all, and then I feel like I've lost something, or、uh-huh. that I'm like, and then I come home and it's like, how was class?、And、I'm like, oh, it wasn't very good, and like maybe it what didn't excel as much as the other one, or it, you know, it didn't hit. There, you know, nobody felt compelled to to tell me it was a great class, you know. But you know, again, it's with the ego, with the clinging, with that that Buddhist concept of、um, that your desire leads to your own suffering. So if you're desiring attention, then lack of attention is going to cause suffering. But if you if you let go of the desire, then you can have attention. It's just not going to cause suffering. It's just something to think about. Yeah. A lot of actors come to my yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Like I want to be spiritual, but I just assume I'm like if they're in Hollywood and doing yoga, they're pretentious. <laughs> just kidding. No, there are a lot of okay. Let's keep. So I think most of the people don't read yoga. They read it, but they get stuck just with that because they, they think that、uh, they are the ones <laughs> who are masters to become a yogi. You have to not only teach all this to others. But also feel for them. Have be a helping hand there. Be like the Buddha. Be like Jesus. Be like Lhasa. Be like、uh, Moses. Those are the ideals. Those are the yogis we are talking about. I think you know we forget、uh, why all these people are prophets because they went beyond themselves. They, they try to look at themselves in terms of all humanity, and then they said, "Okay, you know, thing, it is fine. But first, I take care of myself. I stay healthy, and I keep my family healthy, and my country healthy, and we do these things." Yeah, are going to get the same treatment which I give to myself. And most of the people don't even treat themselves right, like you said. They smoke a lot and they drink a lot and they have the wrong kind of emotions, wrong kind of ideas, and they mess themselves up. That's why we have the most stressed out society. Twenty-first century has given us that because we are very selfish and self-centered. And yoga says, "Let's get out of that." That's、yeah. the balance part. Yoga is the balance part. And that's what it's all about. But reading it and then sitting down and working on it in your each day, how you relate to others, how to relate to yourself, and how you relate to your neighbor, how you relate to your students, and so forth. Be honest and be clear. Be ready to help them. And I think if you look at the life of the Buddha, when he said Karuna. Compassion. There is when I breathe in, when I do the yoga exercise. I've been doing it now for forty-five years and、uh, or more. And、uh, when I breathe in, I breathe in love and、uh, tell myself all the love I ever received from my mother, from my father, from my siblings, from my teacher, from my friends, from my. You know, professors and the love in a different way. All the books I have ever read, because they contributed those so that I can be what I am today. So all the love which has been showered on me. So I breathe that love in, and when I breathe out, 
And that's my mantra, compassion. I change it. I'm going to spread it, broadcast it uh, as much as I can. That's and beautiful. I have to see that I am. It's just like the rays of the sun. When you look at it from sun's point of view, our earth is like one among billions of tiny little rays. That's how big our earth is. And we are just, you know, on this earth, we are even tinier than <laughs> the tiniest cell when you compare it. So we are all connected and uh, we are part of that. Sun is the smallest kind of star there. And all our sun and our solar system is just like a little cell on the body of our galaxy. Galaxy is a cell on the body of our universe. Our universe is a cell on the body of multiverse. And then the power supports all this. And that's also far away, but also it's within you, within me. And yoga is saying, let's tap that. Let's get to that power. And you have the technology. You have the art of sculpting the body, sculpting your emotions, and sculpting your mind to move in that direction where you get in touch with what lies behind the sensations, feelings, emotions, passions, ideas, images, ego, values. That's what we want to go in the back, which makes possible all this. That is the connection between us and that ultimate universe out there. And I think that's what yoga is saying. It has given you the technology. But most of the people say, oh, I do such wonderful physical postures. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yoga means unity. It doesn't just mean the asanas. Exactly. Asanas do help you. They get rid of, you know, what we call disease. That means dis-ease with yourself. They help you to get rid of that, this, uh, so that you're at ease with yourself. Same thing. But pranayama does, you know, tries to balance out your emotions. That's what dhyana or meditation tries to do, to harmonize your mind. But then you have to harmonize all these three parts of yourself, the physical, the emotional, and the mental, so that spirit can express itself in the best possible way. Then your being becomes a vehicle. Your existential being becomes a vehicle of expression and of that spirit. And I think, you know, uh, most of the people do not want to take that step because they become a little bit too egotistical. They say, oh, I can master all the different asanas. Yes, you can. So that's okay. That's great. Then master your emotions. Okay. Master your mind. Good. But now you master all this and forget that you have mastered them. <laughs> that's the hardest part. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the first uh, the first line of the uh, Yoga Sutra is talking about the uh, the basically getting rid of the it's the virtis the getting rid of the modifications of the mind the uh, the five sutra number, sutra number one is atha yoga anushasnam here now begins the study of yoga oh right and that could mean many different things it could mean I'm going to start doing yoga and take it very seriously. I'm going to transform my life from today onwards in this space, in this time. And then the second sutra, which you are mentioning, that is yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. Yoga is the stoppage of 
all the modifications of your mind. So you can take control of yourself. Yeah. And be balance. Balancing all the three parts of your being. And then the third sutra says, those of us who are able to master it, they become the pure yogis. And that's your quest. And those who cannot master it, number four says, who are disturbed, stressed out, like our 21st century. Yeah, exactly. The third, uh, if I recall correctly, is then the seer abides in its own nature. So the one who sees, as opposed to the one who thinks, the one who feels, the, the being abides in their own nature, in the nature of beingness. So once you've gotten, once you've allowed the monkey mind to run itself out and then kind of finally shut up, and like whatever else, demons and things popping up, once, once all of that is finally settled down, then all that's left is being abiding in its own nature. I just wanted to translate because it was a little hard to hear what you said. So that's, that's the way, you know, for yoga. First four sutras, you know, flow through. And, and that's, you know, I think you ask that question, you want to be yogi, and this is just the beginning. Beginning. It's a, it's a lifelong pursuit. And I think you will never be sorry that you started it. And think about it. And if that happens earlier, you start feeling harmony for five minutes. Great, you're experiencing what it would be like if you can have it for an hour, two hours, or rest of your life. Be wonderful. So I think it's uh, you're on a good path. It's like the ancient Chinese saying, coming out of the Da Ve Ching of Lapsu, a thousand miles march starts with the first step, and you are starting with the first step. <laughs> you're right on the track. Keep up. Don't be distracted. I am not going to say anything because I'm, I'm getting to the point where I am just listening and taking it all in and, you know, can't really, like, ramble and be like, this is what I think. Like, I'm finally now <laughs> ready to receive <laughs> instead of being like, I know. Okay. Yeah. There was, the, of course, the fourth type of, of, of yoga that isn't as good. It was the, or the third type was the, the cultic yoga. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I use that word cultic yoga because uh, during the 70s, I got very interested in all the yoga masters who were coming from India. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a whole book on them called Instant Nirvana. If you ever go on Amazon.com under my name, Instant Nirvana, Americanization of Meditation and Mysticism. And that was the research I did. I went and visited uh, Muktananda, who used to be a big name in 19, uh, during the 1970s and 1982. And now, uh, they had a Siddha Ashram close by Liberty, New York. Then I, I met with Swami Rama, who was a big master, who could control you know, mental ways and he could move objects on a distance. Yeah, my dad so was I, a student. You then know that. Yeah. <laughs> Swami Rama, he had uh, a spiritual institute in Rishikesh where the Beatles had gone, you know, in 1964 to see the Maharishi. So I took the group there and met with Swami Rama. And Swami Rama gave me a kind of status. Uh, he said, today onwards, I'm going to call you Swami Rishikesh 
Ananda, but you are of Rishikesh. Anyways, I never used that kind of name. <laughs> because it, uh, it's a huge kind of spiritual, you know, degree. You know, if you want to use our academic terms. Uh, I think he just said spiritual degree. It's a good one. Did he really? Yeah. Oh, why? To, 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 to go by the by his the name that was given to him by the, the Swami, using a name like that is kind of a spiritual dickery. I so, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I met with him, and I met with, you know, people from Hare Krishna. I met with people who belonged to Guru Maharaj's movement, uh, Transcendental Meditation Movement. I met with uh, Sai Baba in India. I met with uh, Dalai Lama three times. And so I had... Uh, uh, Talk about, the, you know, the way they were presenting, uh, the, you know, yoga of India. You know, it was more like a cultic uh, flavor to it. Right. And as if, you know, you don't have to spend 25 years to become a yogi. Just if you have $500 or $1,000, we can, you know, uplift you or give you enlightenment. Right. In the week. So that's, that's what I was thinking. And once you get in... It was very hard for people to get out. Yeah. So that's why I was getting, that's why I called it cultic. But cultic really means a little bit something different. All religions started as cults because they were challenging the existing mores and rules, regulations. And then they became, when they were following, then they became, you know, world religions. That's the way. So I was using the term cultic. Right. So from a certain point of view, maybe Patanjali was a cult leader. <laughs> uh, we could. We could say that uh, so that's the way these things started initially. Well, like, and I think you have a wider in- kind of acceptance from all, many, many people, many walks of life, and then it becomes a regular kind of religion. There's an older form of, uh, or an older usage of the word cult where it just means a group of people with a shared belief system. But then there's sort of the post-Charles Manson, you know, uh, Jim Jones uh, flavor of the word cult, where people look at someone like uh, Bikram, for instance, and they see, oh, this is kind of, you know, I, I think that um, maybe a good compass as to, so, so you can tell what you're looking at is the Yoga Sutras, and for example, the Yamas and the Niyamas. Exactly. So the idea I was getting at there was that if... Um, that you know, one one compass so that you can tell what what you're looking at is yoga is whether the yamas and the niyamas are present. So if somebody's being being hostile, being violent, yelling at their students that that you know maybe they're not abiding by ahimsa, if they're stealing, if there's thievery going on, some kind of scandal, then, maybe they're not abiding by asteya. Um, if they're if they're lying, if there's lying going on, it's not satya, which is one of the yamas. If there's raping going on, <gasps> as in the example of Bikram um, Chowdhury in India and the, the famous Bikram Yoga that you see in every city, uh, that is not Brahmacharya, which is sexual wisdom. Okay. If there's, uh, you know, the hoarding up and storing up of wealth, as in the same example. He's kind of the big living example of this kind of uh, cultic yoga. But I think it's basically wrong with uh, people is uh, when they think that they have mastered 30 yogic postures, or they have pranayam, they are mastered, or they have... Uh, a kind of control on uh, the 30 postures and they give their own name to it. And that's almost going against yoga. 
Yeah, trying to own it. Isn't, isn't that the... If you call it, if I call it a shoka yoga, but I call it, then there is the ego present there. I call it victim yoga, anger yoga. It's ego. We have to go beyond it. Even though you are the one, you know, who is putting all these wonderful ideas together, but they are coming from that higher power within. And that should take you away from your ego. Yeah. To something higher, which is inspiring you. It's working through you to express it through this wonderful thing which we call our body, our heart, our mind. And that's the way this vehicle of our body, your existential being is created by this higher power so that you can express it in the best possible way to help humanity out there. That's what it is. But when they start charging a lot of money and they start... Parigraha, right? It's one of the yamas. Yes, exactly. Going beyond your eyeness and... And that's, you're right, I think, you know, we have to, that's why I made that distinction. There's a Hollywood yoga, that's, you know, basically physical posture, breathing exercises, so you can have your body, which is disease-free, you can have restful sleep, you can have pink cheeks, and you have vigor, that's first going. Second, people who are not interested in doing yoga, or they are more interested in seeing whether yoga works, and they want to measure the effects of yoga. The, the Harvard yoga. Harvard yoga. And then there are people who say that uh, they are enlightened. They are living at a certain stage of uh, consciousness called enlightenment. They can pass it on to others. And if you and touch if you their toe. <laughs> that becomes cultic yoga. Yeah. That's why I called it. And then the third, fourth one is Himalayan yoga, which incorporates all these aspects. But it's much more, it's philosophical. It's more of a yoga which liberates you. Like you say, you know, in your blog, that mukti, it gives you enlightenment, freedom, here and now, with your own body, with your own heart, and with your own mind. While you're alive, you don't have to be dead to get mukti. You're getting it now. You're free. On my blog, it says the type of yoga that I teach, uh, that I was trained in the Mukti school of yoga, which is, means liberation. Freed yourself from all this. And all these people who charge money and they're calling these yogas, giving their own name, they are not really free. They are really getting entangled in yeah. our society. And doubly entangled and triply and thousandfold entangled. And that they are not freeing themselves. So, Mukti means, you know, freedom from all this attachment to all this and, you know, letting go. You know, when we, you are born or I was born or any of these people who are born, they brought nothing with them. And when they leave, they are going to take nothing with them. So whatever they got, Earth gave this as a gift. I call it the Buddhist way of looking at the world. Everything is leased. You know, we have leased this life. <laughs> we yeah. have leased and we have to leave all this behind. So that's what Buddha meant by detachment. And that's what yoga teaches us. Detach yourself. So have all these possessions, but they are for everybody else. In your own lifetime, give them away yeah. to others. And that's the important part, including your ego. Is that. And yoga is emphasizing that then you'll be unified. Then you'll be enlightened. Then you'll feel the ecstasy 
And what will that ecstasy be like? And they call it Sat Chit Anand. Sat means uh, existence, infinite existence. Chit means uh, uh, consciousness, infinite consciousness. Ananda means joy, infinite joy. So if you put this together, what will be that total experience when your inner essence and the universal essence come together? That will be the real union of your essence and the universal essence. It will be experienced as infinite consciousness enjoying itself eternally. That's what Satchitananda is all about. Infinite consciousness enjoying itself eternally. I'll leave you with that. (laughs) That's beautiful. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Well, I'm very happy to help you out anytime. Isn't that great? Yeah, that's so sweet. I love that. Yeah, I'm really glad that that he took the time to talk to me. I love people like that. There are people online that I really look up to, and they're like, "Call me, here's my number," you know, like, and they're they're like famous, just like in in my field, and they just give out their number and help mentor people, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. And if you have questions, you want to talk to me, and we can you know talk, discuss, and if you have some of your disciples, you know, who want to, they can send me an email, and I'll try to respond to them as much. Thank you. And tell, yeah, you're welcome and tell them they should go and check out, you know, all those yoga tapes I have. It's Ashok Malhotra in discussion. These are the video tapes on YouTube. And you can listen to 20 different interviews, which I did from 2003 to 2008. And these are free because it's a free service to humanity. And they can also, while they are checking that, a short and discussion, they will also see one of my videotapes where I am teaching a class with 60 students from SUNY at Onianta, and I'm giving yoga session to these 60 kids and adults uh, for 52 minutes, and they can do yoga with me. Oh, my, my wife... That's why we are here. To help people, just like Wikipedia is giving us all that knowledge. We are here. The yoga teachers, yoga instructors, yoga professors, yoga students to help each other and bring peaceful world order. That's what we are here for. Late December, I'm taking my family and a number of people to visit India. As I told you, we have a foundation oh, yeah. the Ninaj Foundation and I... N-A-S-H, Ninash Foundation, that is www.ninash.org. This is a charity through which we build schools for female and minority children of India. And we started this in 1996, and every year during December 24th, 25th, till January 20th, we take people to India and we build schools for poor children. And we have built six schools so far, Indo-International schools in the state of Rajasthan and Gujarat, and these female and minority children getting education. So we'll be gone to India from the 24th of December this year. Well, on on another year, I'd like to join you for that. Love to. Yeah, come with us. We'll show you. You know, 
not only our schools in India will take you, give you a, a royal treatment, a yoga, royal yoga treatment. We'll also introduce you to some people who do yoga and teach yoga in the South. And you can actually learn there. And, and, you know, take the next step. Take the next leap in your yoga advancement. Visit the temples and maybe go up to into Nepal, into the Himalayas where Shiva's meditating and, and, uh. Yeah. We'll be able to help you with that because I've gone to a number of these places. I've taken 20 groups of students to India and uh, gone to the Taj Mahal 18 to 20 times. And I've taken people all over the country, all the way to Nepal, Kathmandu, and given them tours of uh, Nepal, gone to Assam, gone all the way to the southern part of India, Kerala, and uh, most of, uh, you know, northern part and central India, Bombay, and so forth, Delhi, Bombay, all over. So, you know, when you decide to talk about it and help you set up a program which will be most suitable to you and your needs. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, yeah. So let's stay in touch and please send this and then we'll continue this dialogue. And we must thank my student, Dan Bristol, uh, who is one of my favorite students. He actually was my teaching assistant. And I, he was here as a student like 20 years ago. And nice. He helped me write that book on an introduction to yoga philosophy. There's a lot more I want to ask you about, but maybe not today, about the uh, the scientific study of spirituality. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about it. That's going to be like my next kind of uh, work. But I also publish a journal on yoga, and this might be the second volume. I might work on it, and we can talk about it. And maybe yeah. we'll ask you to contribute to it. I'm very interested in that, in especially uh, neural biofeedback. Uh, there's that there's that headset called Emotive, where that measures your brain waves, and you can see the different the alpha waves and the beta waves that come from different, you know, from meditating for long periods of time, and it's all very fascinating to me. Yeah, there's a book uh, uh, by this Dr. James Austin, and it's called Zen and the Brain. And it's a book published by MIT Press. And Dr. James Austin sent me that book. I reviewed it for a philosophy journal, Philosophy East and West from Hawaii. And so I wrote a very positive review because this guy, he was a neurologist in Colorado. And uh, at age 62, he retired because he had gone to Japan and he was studying some of these monks who were doing Zen. Uh, and Zazen, and uh, so he got involved with Zazen and became a monk himself, and so he was a neurologist who got so much into Zen that he almost uh, could be regarded as a monk, and he wrote this book about it. It's a long book. It's like six, seven hundred pages long, but that will be a great book for you to read, Zen, The Brain, by Dr. James Austin. And this guy is still alive. He's 86 or something. He came and spent three days with me. We played tennis and I learned so much from him. He was just brilliant. Amazing. Maybe I can get him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's cool playing tennis and learning yeah, from another guy. Yeah, That's pretty cool. Dang. So uh, his name is 
Dr. James Austin? Is James? Yeah, I think that's what he said. So I was like, or Jane Austen. Jane Austen. <laughs> Jane Austen's a doctor? <laughs> so I just want to make sure. I was like, I think James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For everybody else. So that's cool. I, I like how, uh, you know, he's very involved in the scientific community and the, the scientific, uh, you know, kind of the point, the contact point where maybe spiritual practices such as meditation and, and, that, and that kind of thing and the effect on the brain is being studied and so he's actively involved in that. I always thought that science and spirit went hand in hand and sometimes when I talk to people about that they think I'm crazy and they're like no that that's like not really related at all because some people who consider themselves very logical and they're thinking of science, they think that there's no such thing as spirituality, but it's like the more that you look into science, it just makes sense that there's like something else, you know, that's creating right. all of it. Well, yeah, and then science will tell you that atoms pop in and out of, you know, into other universes, like as if that weren't as just as like, far no, out as, yes. you know, some idea of the spirit. And <laughs> they don't really address kind of the nature of the actual consciousness like they can talk about how a brain works and you know and still there's a lot we don't know but as much as we know we can study how a mouse brain works as opposed to a human brain and say we're self-aware and the mouse isn't but they never actually get to the who is it that's looking out what is the nature of that and there was one uh, scientist that I I heard I think he was on TED Talk and I I, kind of really liked what he had to say and it seems to resonate with Uh, Indian philosophy is that one of the givens, one of the uh, predetermined kind of one of the one of the uh, natural things that are built into the way the universe works, like space and you know that kind of thing, is consciousness. And so, to whatever degree matter organizes itself, whatever that is that comes together is consciousness, and that consciousness is the very stuff of the universe just as much as as energy is or or matter is or anything else yeah i think that um it says something when a lot of you know the stereotypical like science geeks are also really big into um superpowers and stuff like that you you know what i'm talking about like those those guys that are, are really smart with science and then they still believe in you know teleporting and stuff like that but nobody really talks about it well yeah but it's like why are they fantasizing about it it's it's because they know that it they they know that it can happen on like such a small scale with like an atom right you know traveling through universes or back in time for instance and if we're all subatomic particles can do it but not not complex things like us well but but yeah i think it's very interesting that like an atom can do something like that but a human can't like people wouldn't even think that that's possible they'd go like that's ridiculous but an atom like that's that's not crazy but it's like but we're all made up of that so you know look into it yeah (laughs) (laughs) dear research no it's just too incredible so that's why the logical part of the brain shuts down and then they think they're smarter (laughs) well let's see see if he says anything in the last couple minutes about teleporting Tell your audience, you know, that they should, if they're interested in helping the people of India, especially female and minority children, to be educated properly, they should check out our foundation's website, www.ninash.org. 
So what do you think? Do you want to go uh, out to India with me next December? Uh, you pay him? <laughs> well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Pay? Yeah. No, I would love to. Actually, India was a place that I always wanted to go to. Yeah. Like, I would love to travel. That's one of my main goals in life, is to just explore the world. India is definitely one of those places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if, uh, if the circumstances allowed it, I would definitely be there. Yeah, Can't totally. Yeah, I want to I wanna continue my yoga training and... Uh, visit a lot of the places he's talking about you know and uh you know he he and a few other people have all offered there was a, a woman i gave a ride to because i drive uber on the side um that uh that offered to let me drive her car while i was in india she was like you can take it all all the way across the country if what? you want to and and uh, you can stay at my house and no charge and i'll make you food and here's my number well, let's and, go yeah seriously <laughs> it's just the plane ticket is, is you can apparently live there and pay it, it costs very little i mean to wow. to stay there yeah. it's just that things are kind of dirty you know you have to get your shots and whatnot but oh, there you I go have to get shots i probably yeah you know just at the doctors to make sure you don't get i don't want to get shots <laughs> i'll look into it <laughs> yeah 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 you know but uh yeah, and I've never really, I don't, I'm not too familiar with Indian food either, so that would be really It's cool. very spicy. Yeah, apparently oh. when you're over there, the spicier the better, because it kills any bacteria that might be in the food. It's starting to sound less appealing the more I talk, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm starting to, That's a, you know, Jamie's get Jamie's going to stay here. Spice. Yeah. Uh, when I go. But, uh, okay, let's... Uh, and they will see all other schools, videotapes at schools, our students from Suni Onianta. Uh, or Americans were coming with us and building these schools in India and what's going on there. These children who had no education before, now they're speaking three languages and they are computer literate and uh, singing songs, dancing, writing their own plays. And these are also 50 to 60 kids have finished their high school there in college of their choice. And it's wonderful. Excellent. And we'll be meeting with them on at the end of this year, 29th to 31st of December, we'll be there to meet with them. So people should check it out, what we are doing in India. So that's one of the things we could do is help build schools for women and minority children in India. That would be a nice thing. You'd have yeah. bragging rights for having done something so uh, so selfless sounding. Yes, put on my resume. I have, but no, that would be such a cool story. It would be a very soul enriching experience yeah. as well, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, let's not forget. As that. well as the reputation, you know, the. Uh, <laughs> be like, I, I didn't just come over here to do it so I could tell everybody that I did it and pat myself on the back. Yeah, look at me over here being humble. Yes, well, when you say minority children in India, like minority here in America usually means like different ethnicities right. that aren't white. Yeah. So what does minority over there mean? That is a good question. I'm not entirely sure. It'd be interesting to go and find out. How long do you plan on going? When I go to India, I want, basically I'm going to go kind of indefinitely, kind of... Um, not buy a one-way ticket, but <laughs> buy Janie. Yeah, yeah, no, buy 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 a ticket, buy a, buy a round-trip ticket, but with no date on the yeah, trip back, and yeah. then just go out there until I'm ready to come back. And um, then, then that'll look good on my resume, and then I can, uh, you know. Then be uh, a yogi because you went to India. Right, right. <laughs> I'll have henna on me. No. That'd be cool. <laughs> oh, that sounds so exciting. Yeah, no, it'll it'll be fun. Does it snow over there during? Probably summer? in some places, definitely. I think we saw a video where there was snow on the Monkey Town. 
They have a monkey town. I've seen that. You you posted It's in the middle pictures, of a desert. Right? Oh no, that was in Japan. That was oh, that was the right. that was the Jigokudani monkey park. There's monkeys everywhere. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's uh, see if there's anything at the very end here. Excellent work. Would would you care to give a name to the episode? Uh, okay, I'll <laughs> say. Uh, call it yoga as compassion in action. Excellent. I like it. Okay. Good. Okay. We'll talk soon and, uh, and I'll give you a call. We'll have you back on the show. Okay. Thank you very much. You have a wonderful afternoon and evening. You too. Okay. Take care. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. That was nice. Yeah. Nice yeah. One of the questions I got when I announced that I was making this uh, podcast is, yoga as what? And I was thinking, hmm, that's an interesting question. The more people were asking me about what specifically I was going to be focusing on as far as yoga, it, the more it made me wonder, like, well, what do you think I should be leaving out? <laughs> you know? So, so I mean, I, I, I want to be a little more inclusive with what I, uh, what I, uh, like for example I, I don't necessarily, I want my interviews to be with people who are at various stages of their relationship with yoga, not necessarily you know, having taught uh, it for, for 25 years and, and have built schools for minority children in India, I, I, it's great that this was my first guest um, but I'm hoping that it won't uh, intimidate anybody who might otherwise have uh, considered calling in, please do call in. As I mentioned before, um, call in 626-367-9254 and we can talk about doing the interview or we can just jump right into the interview at that time. Yeah, there are always different kinds of people being interviewed at many different levels that would really benefit the audience. So Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think it was good to have someone who isn't, isn't very experienced yourself, you know, uh -huh. like here w along with... <laughs> yeah, the, the noob here. <laughs> listening to you and Ashuk really knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want yoga classes? When when are you available? You could set up a, a weekly. Yes, schedule. that would be cool. Sounds good. Yeah, what, what works for you? Morning, um, mornings or afternoons or? So the classes would I be like you know going to classes where other people are going or is it just no just you? Okay. Cool. Yeah, just private. Yeah, my schedule is super flexible. That's what I love about my life, is I work for myself, so cool. yeah, <laughs> whenever. Sounds good. I guess um, we can wrap it up here. Well, thank you for having me. This was really interesting, and uh, you know, I, I felt like I, I learned some about yoga. I was always just so confused if it was just, uh, you know, stretching or, you know, something very spiritual. So I love that I got to hear him speak on the spiritual side. And uh, especially the, the special powers side was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, just hang on to that book until you're done with it. Do you, do you still have it? Yes, right here. Yeah. The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And uh, let me know what you think, and then we'll have you back on when you're when you're done reading it. Okay. Does that sound good? Sure. Cool. If anybody in t is in town and uh, wants to come to my class again, I'm uh, at the beginning of this podcast recording. I was teaching Thursday nights in Burbank, but that has changed. Uh, I got an email. I'm te now teaching um, Sunset. I'm no longer regularly teaching in Burbank, but no doubt they will have me um, in there subbing as they do regularly. So keep an eye on edward-reeb.com forward slash schedule. It's R-E-I-B, B as in brother. And um, 
keep an eye out for Sarah Swain on IMDb uh, when she when she hits it big as an actress. And um, and we'll see you next time for episode two, to be a yogi. Thank you all for coming, and I will close as I as I close my in a in a sort of you know official yeah hopefully not too cheesy. <clears throat> okay, um, so if we could all. Come to a, a simple cross-legged position, relaxing shoulders down away from ears, spine long, crown toward the sky, bringing hands together at the sternum, gently pressing thumbs against the sternum and solar plexus, letting the fingers separate. Taking a deep breath. May you be happy, may you be healthy and strong, and may you live with ease. Namaste. Good night. Special thanks to Spirit in Stone for the use of their track, Isn't All One. Thanks. Thank you for coming by. Thank you so much for having me. Cool, You're cool. The best. Certainly. <laughs> All right, see ya. Okay, see ya. <laughs>